KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. This is KYW News Radio In Depth. I'm Matt Leon. We are seeing more and more children return to in person learning across the country, and it is really important that that trend continues. So, what will it take to stay on this path? What are some problems that public schools specifically are facing as a result of the pandemic? And what problems that were around even before COVID 19 still need to be addressed? We talk about all this in this conversation with Avenel Joseph. She is the vice president of policy for the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation. Give a listen. So let's kind of start with an overarching thought here. How are we doing getting kids back in person? I know my youngest is back in five days a week, the oldest every other day in our school district. Uh, Overall, are we making the progress necessary? I'm sure it's a mixed bag state to state, but how would you kind of grade overall? Yeah, you know, I think things are looking, are trending back towards normal. Schools across the country are reopening in in greater and greater numbers. My oldest is finally back in school after a year and two weeks. Um, She's going in twice a week, every week. So I think we're slowly um, starting to resume in-person class learning. And uh, I think that's great for students and for teachers alike. How much do you think kids have lost in the last year? Is there any way to tangibly measure, because I can't imagine as having a front row to homeschooling, as much as everybody tried their best, you, you're going to get what you need, you know, to, to get you through the year. Yeah, I mean, I do think that there's going to be um, uh, lots of post-mortem studies that are going to be done in terms of learning lags and and other disadvantages that were proposed, presented themselves as a result of schools being shut down over the the last two the last year plus. You know, I think one of the things that we have to remember is that parents and schools and children and in, in many communities especially underserved communities, were always at an an inherent disadvantage. And put on top of that, with schools being closed, uh, many children of color in particular have been hit the hardest by learning loss that would resulted from those pandemic-related school shutdowns. In addition to the learning laws, how much of a concern is the social laws? Maybe not for, this is how I've always looked at it. I feel like the older kids, the biggest loss is the social from an they lose the opportunity to go to prom like once in a lifetime things. And I know it's not a huge deal, but it is when you're in that moment. Um, And from a younger kid, you're just kind of looking to learning how to be social and maybe that development is interrupted. How much of a concern is aside from the educational, the social for kids that haven't been in school? Yeah. I mean, there are academic health, social and emotional benefits of in-person learning. And I think those are both short-term in nature as well as long-term. I mean, in-person learning has very strong links. Uh, there's strong links between education and higher paying jobs, reduced risk of chronic disease, and longer lifespans. You know, I think kids, especially over this last year, have shown an incredible amount of resiliency and they will uh, resume you know, to whatever sort of normal they have. I know for me as a parent, I have two kids under the age of five, and I was really concerned about having them back in school where they have to stay physically distant from uh, their classmates, where they have to wear masks all day long. And, you know, my kid comes home after the first day of of school just beaming. It doesn't matter that that she couldn't 
hug her classmates or that she has to stay on a sticker when she's walking, um, uh, you know, into the into the classroom to stay six feet away from from her her classmate. I think just being able to see her friends, see her teachers, hear what they're saying um, in person, all of that uh, brings tremendous benefits. One of the things I struggled with with the idea, there was so much talk and rightfully so about how important it was to get kids back in school in person. And that was at the top of the depth chart for people. Why in the world didn't we prioritize across the board teachers and support staff to get the vaccines in the first wave, almost maybe with medical professionals and first responders? I I just never understood that. Yeah, I mean, I think every every state had their own way in, of interpreting the federal guidelines, and every state did it a little bit differently. In some states, teachers were um, considered frontline essential workers and were given access to to the vaccine at that same sort of tier one level. In other states, that wasn't the case. You know, I think we're finally at a point now where our supply is surpassing our demand. And so at this point, um, and, and certainly over the next um, a couple weeks since Biden has said by April 1st, he wants you know uh, this to be opened up even wider than that. Everyone who wants a, a vaccine will be able to get it. And I think that's the important thing to focus on. There are a lot of schools that all the protocols put in place, not to mention the lost time, has put a real strain financially. What's the level of concern schools are going to be able to mitigate that? I know money from the federal government is coming and more promised. Uh, What's the level of concern with that? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot that has to happen to you know, we were we are ready in this country pre-pandemic. I think that's the important thing to remember. Remember, pre-pandemic, our schools, our public schools in particular, particularly those in cities and in rural areas, were struggling. They were struggling in terms of infrastructure. They were struggling in terms of resources. All of that has just been exasperated by the pandemic, but it hasn't fundamentally changed the problem, which is that we've underinvested in schools and school systems for far too long and in our teachers and in our workforce. The American Rescue Plan Act provides an additional $123 billion in federal funding for school districts. And that's the largest ever one-time federal investment in education. So schools and school districts are going to have to use some of that funding they receive to address learning loss, but they also have flexibility on how to use these dollars. And that funding can help to make up for state and local budget shortfalls that were being used as reasons to lay off to, to lay off students or to make cuts in, uh, sorry, lay off uh, teachers or to make cuts in school programming. We now have the funding in place to help these schools open safely. So that means we have to focus on infrastructure, things like protective equipment ventilation systems, additional transportation for students to get to schools. It means bringing in nurses and counselors in addition to additional teachers. It might mean having to uh, invest in portable classrooms to ensure that students can uh, maintain their proper proper spacing and, and more staffing to reduce that student to teacher ratio. You know, when the schools have the necessary resources and they follow these protocols that have been put out by the CDC, in-person learning has worked remarkably well without accelerating the community spread, which I think is the real concern. We don't want to send kids back into school only for them to be spreading it back into the community. We've we've seen now that the data has demonstrated that school transmission happens even lower than it happens in the community. But we, we also need to focus a lot of these dollars 
and this new renewed investment in um, students of color and students from lower income in neighborhoods where for years and generations, the government, government has failed to invest in those schools and those school districts. So there's gonna be long-term health and economic ramifications for those failures. And that's gonna include the widening of the achievement gaps and potentially lower future earnings for those students. And that's the type of stuff that we really need to focus this new investment on trying to mitigate. Has the last year, if we want to look, I don't want to say glass half full like the last year, but as a ray of light, have we learned, have we developed more tools for the education toolbox over the last year when you look about the, you know, the ability to do what we're doing right now, talk on Zoom and, and work that in and maybe widen the approach to, to how we, we teach kids and also has the appreciation for the importance of in-person learning also grown with it being taken away for the last year for the most part? Well, I, I can't speak as a, an educational expert or educational researcher, but I can, I can speak as a parent who will say that um, the value of schools and in-person learning has felt exponential over the last year. I mean, I think the burden on, on parents is, is something that we've all mustered through over the last year plus, but that has not been easy. And it's taken a toll not on our children, not only on our children, but on our family dynamics, on our work dynamics, on our individual emotional um, health of the adults as well. So I think that there, you know, there are certainly more tools in the toolbox that have been presented, including this concept of virtual learning. But I think we can't uh, lose sight of the fact that even broadband access, high-speed internet is not something that is universally um, accessible for students. There are lots of students in rural areas, low-income neighborhoods who don't have access to reliable internet. Um, and so uh, really the schools having in-person learning, having healthy school lunches, uh, healthy breakfasts in some school districts, being able to ensure that our students are, are cared for by, by school nurses, these are all of the additional benefits that come from from in-person physical learning that I, that I as a parent can't see it equally substituted by virtual learning. Given the direction we're going, and you talked about the the vaccine situation vastly improving every day, and and everything, are you relatively confident by the fall we will see school be pretty much what we were used to before the pandemic? You know, I I really can't say. I think we are definitely in a brighter spot and it's looking very optimistic for the fall. I mean, we have to vaccinate all adults in schools. I mean, that means not, not just our teachers, but the custodians, those who transport students, the front office staff, and of course the teachers. Um, not only does that protect them, but it also protects everyone around them. I think there's still a lot of uh, data that needs to be collected, research that needs to be done on the effectiveness of vaccine in ch children before it's actually distributed and administered to children. And until, um, until that happens, it's hard to say um, how uh, universally protected children will be from contracting um, COVID when they return to a full-time learning schedules and, and just sort of work uh, life as normal again um, in the future. But I am certainly optimistic that at this point, um, things are looking like the fall will look much more like what we remember school to look like than what it has been over the last year. And how long do you think we will be feeling the ripple effects of the last year? I mean, this is not something that even if everything goes perfectly and everybody's back in school in the fall and buses are full and everything, uh, we're going to be dealing with ripple effects from this for a while, aren't we? 
Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. I mean, not only are we talking about the long-term effects that I mentioned earlier, things like the learning loss, um, health of individuals and populations, uh, a long-term earning of, of, of students. But I think it's also important to remember that while the vaccines are, um, are a very, very important turning point in our combat against this pandemic, we can't rely on vaccination alone. All of the science right now says that everyone still has to continue to follow mitigation protocols. That means that students have to be spread apart. They have to be given masks. There have to be staggered classes. There has to be uh, separate dining um, situations for, for, um, for students so that they're not all in one huge cafeteria. All of that uh, poses some logistical hurdles for schools to be able to manage what is has currently and has always been an overload of students and an under-resourcing of the schools, of the school districts, and of the teachers. So I think those impacts, being able to mitigate COVID and the pandemic and recognizing what this last year has meant for the pressures on our schools and on our teachers and making sure that we're not just getting to a point where we're back to the dysfunctional normal that we remembered before, but actually in a place where our schools are given the type of resources and are invested in to serve our children so that everyone, the, the, the students, the, the teachers, the families and the parents have the resources that they need to give children the opportunity to thrive at their, their, their largest potential. That's it for this episode of KYW News Radio In-Depth. You can listen to the podcast free anytime on the Odyssey app, and you can find it wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Matt Leon. We'll have another episode out soon.